0: Today's episode of the Degenerate Business School is brought to you by trade agreements, fostering relations between political entities since the Bronze Age, and regular agreements spanning handshake deals and binding legal arrangements since the Bronze Age also.
1: Gregory, welcome back. Thanks, man. Uh,
0: we, uh, we're we doing a special Saturday morning. It's 1 p.m. Uh, Saturday afternoon. Drinking coffee to keep our spirits high.
1: Uh, yeah, man. How are you? How have you been these last two weeks? Uh, miserable. <laughs> have you seen what's going on in the market? It's, uh, it's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, which has a tie-in.
0: To our macroeconomics corner this week Because part of the story Is the arbitrary news cycle coming out of the China-America trade summit Which just sputtered into ruin this week Yeah Yeah. Uh, Ended with a whimper Which, uh, it's not unexpected Because the Donald is the figurehead of all of this Right Um, And suffice it to say, the actual outcome of the talks Never really mattered. Like, the actual policy that was ever agreed to was never going to matter. Just that something was agreed to. It could have been she and Trump agreed to play golf every Thursday. Had they agreed to something,
1: (laughs) certainty would have ran in the markets. But no. It didn't. Yeah, no, I mean, the reality is I think all the madness and volatility is strictly driven by the uncertainty more than the actual result itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's either we have a deal, great, or we don't have a deal, the market takes a shit, but then it moves forward with this new normal. Right. So, yeah, the volatility and and all the madness this week. Well, so the the big question I have for you is...
0: So, this has been... Let's put this into perspective. Uh, The tariff, let's, let's call it like the tariff war that Trump initiated. Yeah. That's been going on rhetorically, practically speaking, let's say for the last two to three years. Sure. And over that time, the stock market and the actual economies of both countries Have outperformed everyone's expectations. And now I'm referring back to first quarter, United States annual GDP growth is now projected at 3.5%. A little less. Somewhere around. Shade under. China's at like six and a half percent. So despite all the saber rattling, at the end of it all, China and America seem to be robust in the face of all of that rhetoric. So the fact that no agreement
1: was reached does it actually matter at all? Uh no, in the long term no. Um as long as we have certainty with you know what the status is going to be going forward. Uh re- the reality is the roller coaster that we've seen it's just it's a matter of will we or won't we? Mhm. But either way once that gets once that gets settled, I think it's smooth sailing so i a couple things mm-hmm.
0: to your point i did so let's let's assume this is a blip on an otherwise uh, well i don't wanna i don't wanna say an upward trajectory, but the the slaughterhouse of last week, which culminated with a just a choice friday um let's assume it it it, it does prove to be a blip two things right one is um the question of intellectual property. An intellectual property theft, an espionage, and counter-espionage, which is actually probably the one thing that does matter at the end of it all. Right. Which is who owns the IP, what are the what is the framework that governs how that's regulated across borders, right? Because China and America have completely different frameworks for one regulating the internet. Uh, to uh, protections of intellectual property and private enterprise. Completely different rubrics, right? That is actually the one thing that matters because, as we know, the cloud is everything. Right. Uh, Was it ever reasonable to expect that China and America would come to an agreement on intellectual property governance?
1: No. Uh, Well, maybe. Um, So... The penalties for these things exist already, but the Chinese government denies vehemently that any theft is actually happening. What are the enforcement mechanisms, really? Right. So, in theory, they can say, yeah, yeah, we'll stop doing Mm -hmm. it, Mm -hmm. but there is no actual consequence for them. Short of, uh,
0: in the West, we basically have house-arrested the Huawei CFO in Vancouver, Th- right. things like that right. uh, or china china's countermeasure which was to basically snatch up a couple of high-profile white dudes things like that right which are weird and troubling but ultimately still are kind of table stakes in this broader discussion
1: about who can own what and China's appetite to steal our shit. I mean, the, the only real consequence that I think that came out of this was the botched, um, or not botched, but blocked uh, Qualcomm-Broadcom merger. And the underlying reasoning for that was the fear of, of IP theft. And, and ind- Correct. And independently, Qualcomm
0: and Broadcom have been slaying it. Right. Uh, Broadcom especially, but Qualcomm because it reached an accord with Apple. So, uh, yeah, on the one hand, it was never going to be successful in that even if uh, China and America agreed to some framework about intellectual property, the Chinese would have agreed to it only superficially and then just, like, continued
1: to use cyber espionage to circumvent it. Correct. So it never would have mattered anyway. Yeah, and I think... The problem is, maybe not the problem, but the reasoning is, a lot of the IP theft that's happening revolves around the newest technologies of 5G and and things like that. Uh, Things that are closely tied to military technologies. Yes. So, as we were saying, any agreement that could happen would disproportionately hurt one country over the other. And so would get subordinated to defense interests.
0: Correct. Correct. Separately, number two uh, I know I started number one like five minutes ago, but I'm just bringing this back. Alright. Number two I think going back to the latest GDP metrics the tariff the tariff war and the implications of the tariff war, they seem not to matter. Like things that dwell in the realm of physical goods like aluminum that you put an extra price tag on don't actually seem to matter to the broad economy. Now, maybe the GDP growth in the United States would be edging closer to four percent in the
1: absence of it, but it doesn't seem like a material thing anyway. Yeah, I would I would agree. Um largely what's been driving our our GDP growth has been uh more along the line of services. Mm-hmm. so The cloud? The cloud. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, these things begin to lose their relevancy. So the the tariffs are... They're not hurting quite as much as, uh, as we'd think.
0: So, suffice it to say, to close this all out, if we just get to the point where it's clear that the Chinese and American trade delegations, they... Go their separate ways, there's not going to be an agreement, uh, there's some escalation in tariff talks and saber-rattling in the economic sphere, yeah, it's probably not the end of the world.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, every time, every time that Donald has imposed new tariffs, uh, China responds with equal tariffs, mm-hmm. meaning at the end of the day, these things are washing out. Right. Um, so... I don't know what winning this would mean short of actual IP uh, IP theft enforcement, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, the, the tariffs in the long run are really not causing a whole lot of good or bad, frankly. I mean, they're causing bad for the people who work in those industries specifically, but mm-hmm. for the broader economy, it's, it's not a big deal.
0: I said I was going to move on, but I want to ask you one more question. All right. You... Uh, Somehow get into the presidential race mm-hmm. in 2020. Roberto Nunez running as prospectively the first Latino president of America, and you win. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, in addition to your ability to run the Fed and quarterback the Cowboys, <laughs> I definitely think you could do it. <laughs> you're in the you're in the pilot seat in 2020. What is your Approach to China if you're the president of America. I have an idea, but I want to hear yours first.
1: Uh, actually, hadn't thought that far ahead. Yeah, I know. That was, I'm blindsiding you with this question in regards to in regards to tariffs and whatnot.
0: Yeah, the whole thing. What? Well, okay, one is like, SP, so there's like the superficial. Yeah, this is my policy to the outside world and the media with China, which is like, am I? Uh, Combative The way Donald is Because that has a certain Utility Okay And Underneath it all I'm just doing something else This is my approach Okay I come into office uh, I'm You know The young Socialist White Obama That's how people are going to talk about me Alright It's my inspiring rhetoric Uh Superficially, I'm going to move towards detente with the Chinese. I'm going to say, let's move towards a rubric of IP. Well, I'm, not, I'm going to eliminate all the tariff bullshit. I'm going to go back to free trade, which is actually more of a like conservative agenda. We're going to, put, we're going to work towards an agreement in IP. I'm going to say, yes, uh, we should have something that governs IP that basically like, concedes to the Chinese on a lot of fronts. So I get a superficial win. But behind the scenes, I'm going to tell the CIA, like, well, I'm, I'm spending all my money on hackers. Hack attack. Hack attack city. <laughs> hacking and counter hacking. Just, like, all money doubled down on hacking, stealing their secrets, blocking them from stealing our secrets. Like, set up something that's going to take down the Chinese power grid. Like, I want full-scale cyber
1: warfare. Is that reckless? Probably. Well, I don't I'm all for being reckless. I am mm-hmm. not opposed to that at all. I just don't know what kind of what kind of secrets or technology we could steal from them. Exactly. And you're not gonna find out until you double down no, on no. it. No, what, no, what I'm getting at is <laughs> our economy is so much greater, our technology is so much more advanced. What do we hope to get that we don't already have? Well There's you, a reason they steal from us. Well if you believe what which
0: you, you read, uh there is I don't know. There seems to be a consensus that like maybe Huawei and companies of its like are farther ahead on 5G. Like on that infrastructure stuff. Which is like, none of it's been operationalized. So definitely you would like, you could probably get an assessment of like, hey, where are we like potentially trailing a little bit? And if it's like 5G, then like you spy on Huawei. Alright. I can see that. Alright. One final thing in the sphere of China, America James Lin he, uh, he helped us out a little bit So last week When we were talking about how do you launder money Into the United States if you're a Chinese foreign national To buy real estate It turns out You were right I was
1: right And I was wrong It's the 40 cousin scheme It is it is. You get your 40 cousins, you give them each 50K. And, and, and I think, by the way, they're like air quote cousins, like big time. Yeah, of course. Because ain't nobody got 40 cousins. <laughs> I mean, well, I, <laughs> I got
0: 40 cousins. Um, but I got a lot of cousins, not 40. but It's certainly not
1: 40 that would agree to real estate scheme with me. <laughs> um, no, yeah. He, he confirmed that at least on the smaller scale end. You do the forty cousin scheme, and they each launder fifty thousand dollars for you. I mean, I still
0: think th- there's definitely a Swiss guy out there that's doing the big ticket shit. Yeah, like commercial.
1: Yeah, so maybe I'm not wrong. No, I I'm mean, more wrong than you. I, I think I think the forty cousin scheme explains how a lot of uh, foreigners are buying houses cash. It it doesn't explain anything. Beyond a few million dollars. Right. Because once you start getting into, I have 350 cousins, (laughs) it's like, all right, uh, we've had a single child policy for (laughs) a long time, (laughs) a long
0: time, a long time. So by the way, on a related note, uh, like you and I were talking about this. when we were, we were in Asia Mm -hmm. and I was just telling her, I was like, you know, it's actually, it's, it's quite an accomplishment that there's still 1.3 billion people in China, despite the fact that they did
1: a one-child pol- one policy. I think it's a lot higher now, actually. I think 1.3 is India. China is closer to 2 at this point. That sounds hot. Why well, uh, do Let's do it real-time? Mm. But in any
0: case, yeah. it's between 1.3 and 2, wide range, despite the one-child policy, which is like, maybe it would be 2, in the absence of it, which is just you know quite an accomplishment.
1: No, you're for right. People, 2017 was 1.4. Yeah, yeah. All but right. it, but it would have been yeah. two. Yeah.
0: With a even a two-child policy. <laughs> so anyway, that's just impressive stuff from China. Yeah. Good job by you. Good job by you. All right, let's let's swizzle into the business world. And now we're talking about the Rideshare Super
1: Edition. So I provisionally names this uh, episode. Uber... Are you under the impression that if we supersize every episode in a different way, we might Yeah, more yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if anyone's looking at the titles, but if they are,
0: super, really adds some cachet, I think. Alright. Yeah. When we come back to it, ride-sharing, I mean, yeah. we can call it the regular edition. Okay. And actually, this is probably the mediocre edition. <laughs> so, false advertising. Anyway, so Uber... Goes to the public markets, finally. Evidently going into it was sandbagging the IPO list price uh, that it was going to debut with, learn it taking a lesson from Lyft, which has gotten pummeled in due course. Opens at 45 and then proceeds to shit the bed and lose 7% on the first day. Now the timing couldn't have been worse for reasons that we talked about. Just like the general milieu of the market was terrible. But, I'm going to say that we're geniuses. And the market is getting, to wise, getting wise to what we've been talking about. We haven't talked about this aspect. Number one, that Uber's revenue growth is flatlining. And that was kind of a... That was a uh, cooling narrative going into the debut, which didn't help it. But right. secondarily, Travis Kalanick, when he ran the company openly said, and if you kind of read into the burn rate of what they've invested in this over time, that the company will live or die by whether or not it can actually create a self-driving automation solution. And the reason for that is only a fixed cost model will work for this business. As you've said. Uh, so I think like the market is penalizing Lyft and Uber for being a variable cost model in a price war, which it should. So as we've told our listeners, don't get wrapped up in the gloss and the sex appeal of the two companies going public until they figure that shit out. It's, it's trouble sauce.
1: Right. And one of the most interesting things that came out of, uh, the roadshow leading up to them actually going public was, uh, the CEO openly saying like, yeah, we might not ever actually make a profit. Um, so he's doing something, right? I mean, he's definitely in the Trust Commons Club, as far as I know.
0: Yeah, and then in the Trace <laughs> Commons Club, cool companies never make money. So it's just like
1: the world's most epic attempt at sandbagging? Uh, maybe, but maybe. I think he's probably onto something. Well,
0: I have uh, another point of view on this, which is instructive. So we've, I think at its core, we would say, avoid this shit
1: for now. Yeah. But Uber and Lyft aren't going away. No. So, so th- They're still a They're way They're well of, capitalized. Right. There's still a way of making money off of this. You just stay away from the actual companies themselves. Oh, yeah. Use Lyft. It's delightful. It's how you got
0: here today. Right. Or Uber. Because you're sexist. <laughs> um... <laughs> They are great products and services. They are disruptive. There's a reason why they're so popular. But as a value investor, as I am, uh, there's just too much uncertainty around what the viability of a fixed cost automation model will look like because the technology is so embryonic. The regulatory framework doesn't exist at all. Right. Um, so until that's sorted, stay the F away. From both stocks but there is i think and we've talked about it before this is the super and the super edition if you're going to bet on one of the horses who do you bet on and uh i think we said before simplistically you bet on uber right right because it just has scale and it has more capital And over time, it's shown a willingness to invest in self-driving technology to get itself there in a way that Lyft doesn't seem positioned to do. Right. Here's something I learned. Uh, I kind of already knew it, uh, but when I was in Southeast Asia, there's something interesting in that Uber is diversified across geographies, yes. But it's also diversified across business models and nuances in those markets, which are different than the U.S. So in Southeast Asia, Uber was in Southeast Asia before, and it sold its interest in the market to Grab uh, last year for a 28% stake in Grab in Southeast Asia. Now, why did it exit? It's a completely different dynamic, In Southeast Asia. It also applies to China too. Where it did the same thing with Didi. And I think it also did something similar in Russia. But in China and Southeast Asia. Rates of car ownership. Are super low. Relative to the West. Number one. Uh, Number two though. Rates are incredibly low also. Because incomes are, are lower. So it actually. Put forward this dynamic. Where. In the short term, you would get absolutely slaughtered on profitability, but maybe over the long term, you would make money because penetration is so low in car ownership. So the utility of the service to the broader economy over there uh, has a a much richer value proposition over time. So Uber wisely decided, I'm going to get out of this knife fight, which is like incredibly more costly than what it's doing with Lyft in America. And just stake it on, essentially, a 28% ownership stake in Grab and a 6% ownership stake in Didi. So, what I'm getting at is Uber is, of a nature, more diversified just because the transportation market is wildly different in Southeast Asia and China than it is here. So, potentially, if it doesn't figure out automation in America there might be a viable business model in its ownership stakes in Southeast Asia and China that aren't going to make it a $45 per share company, but maybe there's a value play in the long term or an
1: options play in the long term if automation isn't sorted. Right, right. Now, you know, I I don't generally think of anything long term. Mm -hmm. Um, So if we wanted to make money in the short term... Mm -hmm one of the things that came out of the paperwork and in, in its filing is that it pays uh, a not insignificant amount of money to to Google. Yes, for the navigation software. Correct. So, again, if we wanted to make money and we know that at least in the short to intermediate term, uh, b- both Uber and Lyft are going to keep burning money, and both CEOs have said this year will represent... ...peak losses for both companies. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you'd simply play it by proxy through... ...could be Google, could be a myriad of other things, frankly. Well, and
0: this is tying it back to the end cap of earnings season. If you own significant positions in Google, which I do, many people do, I wouldn't overreact to the 8% pummeling it took on earnings. I mean, it's concerning that it's chokehold on advertising generally is starting to slip away because more organic search organic search traffic is going through Amazon principally here's why you should continue to double down on Google and that is any business in the future that relies well specifically in the case of ride both of those platforms live or die by the navigation services that Google Maps gives them. And so, Google Maps will get significant licensing fees for that over time. But, I think, secondarily, if you're talking about the future of automated driving solutions, Google is running an effort in parallel that's a complete black box through Waymo, where they could actually figure out automation and self-driving before anyone else does, and then They either license it at heft to Uber, and Uber still makes money, or they actually could become like a future entrant into rideshare application services. Either way, they actually own the central technology that will make any of this work,
1: which is navigation. Right. And they have the luxury of already being profitable. Correct. So you don't have to worry about... To say nothing of like whatever
0: other moonshot mumbo jumbo they have like cooked up under the alphabet umbrella that we have like no actual visibility to. Right. Like they maybe they'll figure out uh, a lunar landing before Blue Origin. We have no fucking idea what they're doing over there.
1: Yeah, it's it's terrifying. Yeah. But uh, what else on Google? Um, Do we have anything else? Just just one last piece, and it's it's completely out of left field but you'll as as you mentioned the stock basically tanked on earnings and it was largely a result of its of its advertising piece but one of the things that's coming next year aside from the apocalypse and you know the great oil <laughs> crisis and whatnot uh is sports betting legalized sports yes betting. and i for one it's going to add a whole new element to the degenerate business school. Absolutely. Uh, aside from a stock tip, I'm going to give you a, a line of the week. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, but, in any case... What's
0: your over-under on how much Jack Prescott gets paid when, when he gets out of his rookie deal?
1: $30 million. God damn it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: actually, he's earned every penny of it. As an Eagles fan, I am... I really am enthusiastic about you guys paying Dak press out $30 million a year.
1: Look, I'm not happy about it, but... Because <laughs> it's $20 million too much. His knees are holding up, which is more than you can say about Carson Wentz, so... Yeah, fair enough. But uh, at least Carson, he can throw a ball accurately. Out of a wheelchair. <laughs> uh, in any case, sports betting... Sports betting will lead to uh, basically an inundation of, <laughs> of uh, advertisements. So, although advertisements is shrinking as a portion of Google's business. Uh, or, said differently, they're losing share, yeah. in quotes, to Amazon. Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: or Facebook. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, we, we... Advertising will make... A the comment. pie will grow, thereby... Correct. And actually, well, the pie will grow, but
0: no, uh, well, we'll see, uh, because you can't count them out, but you're right in the near term, the pie will grow, but it will grow in favor of social and search. Yeah. Facebook, Google, not so much Amazon so long as like the organic search traffic that's going to Amazon is for t-shirts. Right.
1: Not for sports gambling. Right. So, not only should Google benefit, but frankly, most, most platforms that make their money off of advertising.
0: Well, and I'm glad you raised this, because ultimately, if the key themes of this entire enterprise, season one, of an in, which is an, an indefinite <laughs> season, who knows when we'll wind it. Uh, the cloud is everything. The great oil crisis of 2020 And I think a new pillar over the next one to two years is going to be anything attending to sports gambling, advertising, or whoever ends up becoming the company that is at first entrant or has a superior product for placing bets online for sports gambling, that will become the third strategic pillar and the perfect apotheosis of the degenerate business school. Agreed. So we'll formulate some... We won't know next week, but over probably, I mean, like by the time football season comes together, uh, there will probably be a better understanding of who in the landscape is is just going to have a really facile product for placing bets. I I can't predict like who's going to have the best, but it's going to be something like uh, the way that Google and Facebook are aggregation monopolies, meaning like, They have the best products, so everyone uses them. Right. Someone's going to have a killer sports betting uh, product. Yeah. That hopefully is better than the Yahoo Fantasy app. (laughs) Can't be much worse. (laughs) Can't be much worse. But whoever owns that, we're going to double, triple down on them. Oh, absolutely. Uh, So you don't have a stock tip this week. I don't. Uh, Besides that. Correct. Generally. Yeah. I do want to return to something, which was a solid miss on my part, and I'm going to get in on this company, but I actually should have seen it coming because of our philosophy of the business cloud. Cloud's everything, subordinately, the business cloud is everything. So, in the spirit of transparency, uh, to give you an idea of what positions I'm in that are in the cloud, I'm currently in Google. Talk about that. Amazon, Microsoft, which are the three giants of enterprise cloud. Uh, Also, CRM, Salesforce, which eh, didn't have the best earnings call, but we're so long on CRM. We are. Workday, which is uh, HR HR enterprise uh, software solutions. Tableau, business intelligence software. HubSpot, Adobe. You take that entire portfolio into account and... You wonder, how did I miss Zoom video conferencing, which has just been slaying it. It was paired with Pinterest. I was blinded by Pinterest, so fuck you, Pinterest, and blame <laughs> you. Uh, it IPO'd on the same day as Pinterest, and did. we didn't know what a Pinterest was, so we were going for the joke. Right. And I missed the fact that Zoom video conferencing is an enterprise business solution, and Ben Thompson actually wrote about it in short order, and basically, like, they just have the best video conferencing product In uh, the enterprise solutions environment So I should have been all over this So I apologize to our listeners It is an enterprise cloud solutions winner Now, I don't know for a fact That it will be viable as an investment now Because I've missed the boat a little bit Since it's IPO But it does seem like they're positioned In that their contracts are growing They have a vastly superior product That's super facile So Zoom video conferencing I'm going to take a flyer on Uh, But I'll be more specific next week Once I actually close a a transaction The other one that's on the horizon That we should all be looking out for That I need to do more research on is Slack Which is evidently revolutionizing The way people communicate At companies So you're not like tethered to Outlook But I've never actually used it I've just only read anecdotally about it Alright But enterprise, cloud, companies Alright So I'm sorry America I missed Zoom video. Should have been all over.
1: It. Well, um, yeah. I don't actually have an update on my stocks just because I'm I'm too scared to look at my brokerage account this week. Yeah, we're, look, um, I won't put that on you. Yeah, but uh, next week I'll give you I'll give you an update on yeah. everything. Yeah, it's good to be back, America. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers.
0: Farewell. Farewell.